comfortable being more uncomfortable with us as a fully engaged family. And this runs pretty roughshod over our culture, that our culture is moving more towards that. I am an individual. I sit in front of my computer terminal. I put my headphones on. I put my VR goggles on, and I'm just going to experience the world this way. The Bible says actually real human flourishing comes from us being together. We all like to do things the way we want to, without interference from other people. Interacting with others who might have a different idea of how to do things can be tiresome. However, Pastor Daniel is going to teach that this is the way God intended things to be. You're going to hear God's plan for His body is way different than the way society wants to do things. You'll learn the reason for your rubbing up against the people around you and how it benefits you. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Romans chapter 12. As he continues his message, join the party. See, what we learn here really simply is that we are all different. We're all different. Everybody has different things that they bring to the table. Through the grace given to me, To everyone who is among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So for the people of God, the first step is to have a proper view of ourselves. And that proper view is what? A humble view of ourselves. Now again, this is why I love the Bible so much. Being raised in this generation, you're never really taught that humility is a good thing unless you know Jesus. Because our culture is really driven on almost self-exaltation. Let me show you how great I am. We have puffed up resumes. You did some filing and it comes off like you organized the Pentagon or something. You know what I mean? We live in the age of airbrush photographs. Just everything is like a self-exaltation exercise. But then the Bible says that we should think of ourselves really in such a way that we look at ourselves and we have a sober view of ourselves. And I love that about our faith. Because I really think that in Christ, the person can be really honest about who they are. Because as a Christian, you don't have to pretend like you're perfect because your faith is predicated on the fact that you knew that you needed to be saved. So the cross reminds you, like, hey, listen, you got some issues. Look at the person next to you be like, you got issues. Go tell them. <laughs> uh, everyone loves this. You love it when I have you talk to each other in church. Okay, now look at the same person and say, I got more. <laughs> yeah. That's the truest thing we've said in church today, right there. You got issues, I got more, right? So we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to do it, but we have to think soberly about ourselves. And it means being level-headed about it. And then he says, for God 
has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the what? Same function. That's why I get we're all different. If you're born again, you're a member of the body of Christ, but not all of us have the same function. And what that means is that not one of us has everything together, but we need one another because all the different members within the body of Christ have a function that they add to the work of what God is doing. Now, because we live in an individualistic culture, we have a tendency to want to gift project, which means my gift is the most important gift. It also shows our lack of humility. It shows our pride, but it's how we feel. How often, for those of you who are married, you know what this is like, you would have a great marriage if you were married to yourself. <laughs> Most arguments amongst married couples or if you're in a committed dating relationship, it's really the fact that the person you're with is not like you. And if you were just like me, everything would work so perfectly. And I'm here to tell you, actually, for your, your sweetie, your significant other, they are in a relationship with you, and it isn't working so perfectly for them, <laughs> right? And so what we realize is that there needs to be an open-heartedness to our lives that says different people bring different things to the table. Me and my bride, Lynn, are great examples of this. I always like to joke that God loved me so much that he placed Lynn in my life and had us fall in love because I would definitely be dead right now if it wasn't for my wife. And I don't mean that in a figurative way. It's like I have always been, uh, you know how you're supposed to say ready, aim, fire? I'm like a fire, ready, aim kind of a person. I've always been like that, just kind of like a little bit like just kind of things just happen fast and before I know it, I'm in the middle of something. And it's been both a beautiful part of my life and kind of a treacherous part of my life. I'm the kind of person that like, we go skydiving and then I'm like, I jump and I'm like, wait, are there parachutes in these backpacks? I grabbed a granola bar backpack, darn, you know? At least I could eat on the way down, you know? And so my bride Lynn is much more grounded than I am. And the number of things, like I'm just like, man, baby, thank you so much for being the counterbalance to who I am. You know, and she always says, well, Daniel, I would have done half the things that I've done if it wasn't for you because you dragged me into these things. I don't even know how we got here, you know, and it's the beauty of that. But what's amazing is, is I say that I also realize that there were times that I'm like, man, it'd be so much easier if she was more reckless or she's definitely going to be so much easier if Daniel was less reckless. But what we realize is that we're all different and we all bring different things to the table. Listen to how Paul talks to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. See, Paul's saying the exact same thing. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And really what it reminds us is that in the work that God wants to do, in the beautiful party of redemption that God has for us, we actually need to do this together in community. We need to do this in relationship. We need to do this with all of the tension of different passions, different things that we care about, 
I always love to remind people in church, because sometimes like for people who are committed to doing ministry locally versus people who are committed to doing ministry across the globe, people who are like, man, I'm really passionate about kids or students or, hey, old people are people too, and they need ministry. And in church, it can almost be like competing factions. When I always like to remind people, like, God loves people and it all matters. And so rather than homogenizing it, we have to just realize that part of what God wants is he wants us all to be different because we don't all have the same function. Look at what it says, verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually we're members of what? What does it say? Of one another. It says that we are individually members of one another. So we need to get comfortable being more uncomfortable with us as a fully engaged family. And this runs pretty roughshod over our culture, that our culture is moving more towards that I am an individual, I sit in front of my computer terminal, I put my headphones on, I put my VR goggles on, and I'm just going to experience the world this way. The Bible says actually real human flourishing comes from us being together from us having different passions. Why? Because together with Jesus as our head, then we really become the body of Christ and we walk in the things that God has for us. That's why we always say here, because Jesus is real, we're a family of faith who's fully engaged, seeking to transform our community and our world. Fully engaged for each one of us means different things because we're all different. But because we're all different, look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, picking up in verse six, it says... Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And brothers and sisters, really what this means is that you and I, you have to use what you have. God invites each one of us in Jesus to use what we have. We each have gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us. So no matter what that is, God is saying, I want you to use the things that I have placed in your life. Now, again, see how different this is than the way we normally think, because we so often live in a day and age where if I had this, I would do that. Or I wish I had what so-and-so has, because then I could do this. And no, no, your job is to steward what God has placed in your life. Now, that idea of stewardship is important because in the Bible, it talks about us as stewards. We have a tendency to like, I own this. But the Bible says we were bought at a price and we're not our own. So a steward is somebody who, they don't own it. Somebody else owns it, but they get to broker it. And for the follower of Jesus, you, in a sense, own your own life. But really, if you're born again, Jesus has bought you at a price and now you steward your life because Jesus is the owner. So now it's not about, well, this is what I want to do with my life. Jesus is like, this is what I created you for, and now I want you to steward what it is that you have. Now, here's what I want to tell you. If we all spent time saying, what has God given me, and how does he want me to steward it? That question alone will change the entire face of the future and eternity for people. Because everybody has something that God has placed in them. And if we're really honest, a lot of us have a lot of things. God has graced us with spiritual gifts for us to broker for his glory and for his kingdom. Now, 
If you don't know Jesus, you're like, well, these are my gifts and talents. This is what I believe my purpose to be, and I just do what I want to do. And then you could do it based on whatever the desires of you or your family or the generation in which you live. That's what matters. But for the follower of Jesus, all of this now is for the glory of God. So we have to ask ourselves, God, what is it that you want me to do? And in every age and stage of life, there are different things that God is doing. Before Lynn and I got married, I remember talking to my pastor, John Henry Corcoran, and I was talking to him about Lynn and I getting married. He's like, can you do me a favor? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I want you to go read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to pray about it. Now, if you don't know 1 Corinthians 7, it pretty much says that if you're single, you should stay single. And if you're married, you should stay married. But if you're single, you can only do whatever Jesus wants you to do. And if you get married, then you have to check in with your spouse. And I remember reading this and being like, this is kind of like a buzzkill, man. Like, I'm in love. Like, why is my pastor being like this? But what he was doing, and I thanked him for it later, because I said, John Henry, I get what you're doing. You're wanting me to count the cost of what this means. He's like, Daniel, as a single person, there are things that you can do that you won't necessarily be able to do when you're married. Because you have to check in. You have to make sure that we're okay with this, right? Now, listen, there's a number of you who are married right now. This is your problem. You're pretending like you're not married, but you are. And that's a problem. You're not stewarding your marriage well when you're married. See, so in each step, if you're a student right now, there are things you can do as a student that you can't do when you have a J-O-B. Like, if you're a student, you can skip your class. Maybe it'll impact your grade. If, you're a, if you have a J-O-B and you skip your job, you need a job. See how it goes? So in each stage of life, when you have little kids in the house, me and Lynn were just talking about that because our kids are now getting older now. When we had little kids in the house, it was different parenting than when you have older kids in the house. See, in each stage, there are different things that you could steward. And for us, when we realize that I am here to be a steward, I am here to glorify God with the gifts that he has placed in my life, then you simply say, well, okay, I'm going to use what I got, whatever it is that I have. Do you remember when Jesus was watching people give at the temple? People gave all these gifts, and there was a widow who gave just two mites, which was a couple pennies in that culture. And Jesus praised her for her generosity. Why? He's like, everyone else gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her lack. But really what she was doing is she was using what she had. And compared to someone else, maybe it wasn't a lot, but God saw her heart and loved her willingness to engage in that. And my friends, you and I have to do the exact same thing today. Let me ask you this. What are you withholding that God has entrusted to you that he wants you to use for his glory? What is the things that you know that God would be glorified if you did, but for whatever reason you're kind of holding back from doing it. I love how it says it here so simply. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, another great passage on the gifts of the Spirit. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As each one of us has received the gift, let us minister it one to another 
as stewards of the manifold grace of God. So as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit, if you're here today and you're born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you, there are already gifts that you have. The question is, is are you stewarding it? And so much of life is the ability to look at where am I now and what is it that God is desiring to do in my life? In the military, they call this the after-action report. It's something that we do here as a church all the time, as a staff. Anytime we have an event, like after our gatherings today, all the different teams will go in and say, okay, what did we do? What went well? What do we need to change? What do we need to adjust? Because we're not willing just to go on autopilot, but we have to always look at what are we doing? How is it working? Every ministry, we do the same thing. And I want to encourage you, you should do this for your life. That's why journaling can be a very powerful thing. If the night before you go to bed, you say, these are the things that went well today. These are the things that maybe didn't go so well and I might want to change it. How do I want to get at it tomorrow? So simple. For those of you in school, right? You look at your week. You're like, okay, what do I have to do this week? How do I plan this week out? Those of you, you have your families. What do we have to accomplish this week? What didn't go well this week? That simple step of being able to say, God, I want to be a good steward of your manifold grace with the gifts that you, what is it that you're inviting me into? And sometimes not just thinking about it, but actually writing it down, having it in ink or you use it, you know, you type it in your phone and message yourself. However you do that, there's something powerful about it because what you measure gets improved. Listen, the reality is when your body withholds what it's there to do, we call it being sick. We need to go see doctors. We need to get surgeries. Why? Because things aren't working. And in the exact same way spiritually, when body parts are not stewarding what God has given them for the betterment of one another, the body gets sick as well. You know, there's so much talk coming out today about what's going on in the church globally, what's going on in the church in the West. And, you know, by and large, the church in the West has been struggling for a long time. Now, I know here at Crossroads, it's really easy to look, you know, at a very large church in a very challenging area, and people are like, well, that's not happening here at Crossroads. But across the board, the need of the church to be healthy and strong in this generation is very, very urgent, isn't it? And what we have a tendency to do is rather than saying, The church needs to be strong, so therefore let's bag on the church for all the things she does wrong. The better thing would be to say, as an individual member and part of the body, what is it that I'm supposed to be adding that I have been withholding? Because one is localizing the problem outside of ourselves, but when we realize we are the body of Christ, then we have to say, where do I fit into this? And I really believe God is glorified when we identify what's wrong to say, well, how can I be part of the solution to that? And I see that in the body of Christ with all the challenges today, this is, being, this is rising up in the people of God. I love it like when people say, yeah, I'm really worried about the young people. Normally the older people say that, right? And then they say, okay, well, then don't worry about them. Why don't you go serving students? And they're like, okay, I will. And they jump on in there. Say, listen, you're not going to help. Don't complain about it, right? And in the same way, there are people who are like, man, I'm really concerned about people who are older. And so people are rushing into those spaces. And the idea is when you see the problem, don't just say, there's the problem. Say, Lord, how do you want me to be part of how you want to fix that problem? And that keeps us from just being willing to be negative and cynical about life, but really being able to say, God, I want to use what you've given me. 
And sometimes with the thing is so big that you're like, I can never fix that myself. Praise God. Why? Because then you need your brothers and sisters to come alongside. They need to get some people together. And before you know it, you're like, hey, listen, this problem is so big, we can't do it alone. So, hey, will you pray with me? Will we seek God? God, how do you want to be a part of this? And then before you know it, things start to change because people move from passive complaining to active engagement. And if you've ever been involved in that, you realize that how you think you're going to fix it and how it actually gets fixed, are they the same thing? No, they're not. But you have to step into the space to see what it all is and then how does it work. And so use what you have. Now, from there, from the middle of verse 6 to the end of verse 8, really what we see here is seven specific gifts are explained. So this is one of those areas where you have different gifts of the Spirit that are explained. So let me read them to you. Look what it says. So it says, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. That's the first one, prophecy. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. Three, he who teaches in teaching. Four, he who exhorts in exhortation. Five, he who gives with liberality. Six, he who leads with diligence. And then seven, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, of course, it's important to remember that 2,000 years ago, when the Spirit of God inspired this, people were not concerned about gender pronouns and all that stuff. So when it says he, it means he and she. Let the person be that way, okay? So for, I know some people are like, oh, I don't like the Bible because it says he. It's like, well, listen, up until like 15 minutes ago, everyone spoke this way. <laughs> so the spirit of the age now, it's, it's a concern, but you can't retroactively make people concerned about what they're concerned about now. So you, you take things that are older and you're just like, that's just the way it works. So, that makes, so it doesn't mean just boys, okay? It means boys and girls. But all of these different gifts, really what we're seeing is whatever you've been given, you're supposed to use it. So you have things like, notice you say have prophecy and you have teaching, you have ministering, you have exhortation. So all of these things, it's like, these are unique spiritual gifts that people have. Now, again, prophecy, of course, is not just foretelling the future. If you look at biblical prophecy, it's only about a quarter of the biblical prophecy is actually about foretelling future events. So we have a tendency to think that all prophecy is the foretelling of future events. That's not biblically true. There's a subsection of prophecy that is that. Most of prophecy is actually, as I always like to tell you, you're calling into question the laziness or the status quo of what is, and it's also giving a, a fresh vision for a new future. It's got a more exhortative, challenging portion to it. Notice that we should minister that literally means to serve. Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. So we should all be about service of God by serving people both inside and outside of the church. I love this. The person who teaches. And I always tell you, you're all teachers. There are people who are watching your life. Don't think for one second that like, me or Pastor Gabe or our founding Pastor Bill Ritchie or someone sitting in the car. They're the teachers. No, you're all teachers. People are watching your lives. Jesus is real. In his teaching today, Pastor Daniel reminded you that God values you as an individual, but God doesn't want you to remain individualistic in your thinking about your role in the church. He wants to get you plugged in and despite what you might think, there's a place for you in God's local body. 
It's comforting to know that you have a usefulness to God and can bless Him by doing what He's made you to do. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel begins his teaching, The Gifts of Love. He's going to be teaching from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And he won't just be talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but the kind of attitude that God wants you to have when you're exercising those gifts. You're going to be challenged to be honest about your motives for wanting to use what you have and to change your heart if necessary. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Gifted. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.